Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Siddig, and I serve as the lead pastor here at New Hope. Uh, obviously, I am not with you this morning, and that is because I am presently, as you are listening to this, in Chicago, Illinois, at the Olive Branch Mission. Uh, that is our chosen layover for a trip that we are on to Greenville, Illinois, to Greenville College, where we will spend the week with uh, many of our youth uh, at the National Bible Quizzing Finals Tournament. Uh, so I'm recording this for you on Wednesday afternoon uh, of this week, and I'm um, looking forward to uh, getting out the door with our youth on Saturday morning. But I uh, wanted to have a chance to greet you and um, welcome you to New Hope. And uh, again, it's just good to be with you even virtually. We do kick off a new sermon series this morning, and I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to introduce it for you. Uh, let me introduce it with uh, a quote by uh, Reverend Emily M.D. Scott. She's a Lutheran pastor, and she was quoted recently in the, in the New York Times in an article that she wrote titled, The Bible's Me Too Problem. Uh, in it, she is quoted as saying that um, an assumption is woven into our sacred texts that the experience of women, experiences of women don't matter. Now, I don't want to take her out of context. Uh, she's really talking about, in the article, how there are so few uh, references or there's so little attention given to explaining the impact of violent, traumatic events uh, as they relate to uh, how women were treated in the Bible. So, for instance, uh, she uses the story of Dinah. Uh, and the rape of Dinah. Uh, Dinah was a, a daughter of Leah, uh, one of Jacob's wives. And uh, in the story, Dinah is uh, forcibly raped. Uh, and the story goes on with one verse that just explains that she was raped. And then it moves on. And the story goes on to talk about the revenge that the brothers perpetrated and the, the story of uh, getting revenge on this other nation. And it's just, it's a long, long story, but but really, she, she uses that as one of her cases in point, and there are several others, as to say, why does Dinah get so little treatment? Well, the reality is she makes a very compelling case. Um, but the sentiment of her article is really what I think relates to the beginning of our new sermon series. Uh, she writes that article to say that too little effort, too little uh, focus is given uh, to women in the Bible and to their stories and to uh, too much of the church just kind of glosses over even today what those stories look like. And that is why we are starting the Because of Her series. Uh, we're kicking that off today and uh, I'm excited for you to, to be a part of this series with us. We've been preparing now for a couple of months and uh, I think it's going to be a fun series. Basically, we're shining the spotlight on women in mostly the Old Testament um, just to show how God uses women in the story of his redemption of humanity. Uh, he's very purposeful. Uh, women are very pivotal in his story. Um, they're not just side notes, and they're not just used uh, by God because men weren't available. There are legitimate reasons uh, that God chose women, and in fact, we don't even really understand the full character and nature of God without understanding men and women and all of our unique traits that go with that. Uh, so I'm really excited to share and start this new series. I think it uh, will shine some light on some characters in the Bible and the character of God uh, in a way that maybe we don't often always think about. 
not devaluing the role of men, and I think there are significant stories and significant things we can learn from studying the men of the Bible, uh, not diminishing that at all. Just highlighting for one summer, for one ser sermon series, uh, at least for now, the role of women and how God used them uh, in and throughout Scripture. So what follows this video from me is a uh, message that you will hear from Pastor Kate Nunnally. She serves as the lead pastor at Wellspring Free Methodist Church in Bakersfield, California. And uh, she was speaking to uh, a group at Biola University, uh, a plenary session of students and faculty. Um, and she's making the case uh, for women in leadership in the church. In fact, she started an entire project called the Junia Project. You can find that online at juniaproject.com. And she started it to bring scholarly research and really informed opinion to bear on the subject of women and leadership in the church. Uh, she's very compelling. She's very dynamic, personable, authentic, um, very engaging. And she brings uh, her own story to bear as she tells you the story uh, of how she has come to believe that women do belong in leadership within the context of the church. Uh, I'm not going to go on and on. Uh, there's more that I could say. Um, but really, I'm going to leave that to Kate this morning. What I will say to anybody in closing here is, uh, while I'd love to be here with you, I, I can't be, obviously. Uh, if there's any of you here this morning that have different views from the Free Methodist Church on women and leadership in the church, um, I know Kate's presentation is going to be challenging to you, um, but it certainly is going to give you a good perspective on what the Free Methodist Church believes about women in leadership, going all the way back to the founder's perspective, B.T. Roberts, on ordaining women. Um, you can read a book by that title by him. Um, some of this information may not be new to you, but and it's certainly not new to our church, as I just referenced. It's not new to New Hope. Um, but if it is new to you or it challenges you, uh, please, let's, uh, let's get together and talk about it. Don't let what you hear today become a stumbling block in our relationship together, because there's a lot that we can learn and a lot we can grow from. Uh, again, this stuff has, has existed. We're just shining a little bit of a spotlight on it this morning, uh, using it as a foundation for this sermon series. So I look forward to hearing your feedback, and uh, certainly I look forward to being back with you by God's grace uh, uh, next Sunday. And um, at least for this morning, uh, I do pray uh, that you've already been richly uh, rewarded with a good conversation, maybe catching up with somebody you haven't seen for a while, and, and building some more bridges between our stories. So keep it up this morning. Uh, God bless you all, miss you all, and uh, by God's grace, uh, we'll end up seeing you very soon. I was asked to come speak to you all this morning because of the crazy journey that God has brought me on in relation to the topics you all be discussing this morning or this week. And that whole journey kind of culminated two years ago in my mother and I starting a ministry called the Junia Project. And since then, over the last two years, we've had these incredible opportunities to work with pastors and church leaders and denominational leaders and students and universities to help broaden the conversation about women and their role and place in the church and Christian community. And we think this is one of the most important topics of our day not only because our culture has so much to say about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, not only because our culture over-sexualizes every relationship between a man and a woman, but also because today, in 2015, we all find ourselves in the middle of a three-decade-long debate 
on the role and place of women in the evangelical church. Now, this conversation is kind of split into two sides, and on one side you have complementarian theology, which holds that men and women are created equal, but intended by God to have different roles and responsibilities. And those roles and responsibilities mean that men will always be in authority over women in the church and Christian community. And it means that women, it requires submission from all wives to their husbands. It also means that women will never hold positions of leadership in the church unless it's over other women or children. Complementarian theology teaches things like biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And on the other side of this debate, you have egalitarian theology, which also teaches that men and women were created equal. But they believe that, egalitarians believe that men and women are called to roles in ministries without regard to gender. Men and women are equal partners in ministry, and they are, practice mutual submission in marriage. Egalitarians don't believe that the Bible teaches one definition of manhood or one definition of womanhood, but that it tells the stories of lots of different men and women who are gifted and called by God to do lots of different things. And this debate we see constantly in the evangelical church, and it can be confusing to a lot of us because we know people that fall on one side or the other. We come from families and churches that fall on one side of the debate or the other. We have pastors and mentors and friends that fall on one side or the other. And we hear evangelical leaders saying things about the debate and throwing out terms like slippery slope or low view of scripture or feminism, <laughs> my favorite one. Um, and that can be a little bit scary because that means if we're honest with ourselves and we try to grapple with this debate, we too could be labeled with those terms. But let me assure you, all of us who grew up in the church, this debate has already had profound implications on our theology, our view of God, on how we relate to one another and how we view ourselves. It is a very important topic to talk about because it is more than likely that this very topic will affect the career paths you choose to walk the kinds of marriages you choose to enter into, and what you believe God will and will not call you to in your lifetime. And I know that this conversation is intimidating at times, but I have some good news for you. This is not the first time in church history that Christians have disagreed on this topic. So we're walking familiar ground. A lot of what we see today in this debate can be traced back to the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century when all those different Protestant groups broke off of the Catholic Church and from these various groups came things like Lutheran theology and Reformed theology and Wesleyan holiness theology. And all of those things have kind of grown and shifted and become different faith traditions that we have or denominations we have today in the evangelical church. And although all of these theologies are orthodox Christian theologies, they all hold that Jesus Christ, Son of God, lived, died, and rose again, they differ on various theological issues. You know this, like predestination, or infant baptism, or practices of communion, and yes, on women in church leadership. So what this conversation actually is, history teaches us, is a clashing of long-held Christian theologies. It's differing opinions on how God chooses to work in and through God's people. 
So rest assured that this is not the first time that this conversation has been had in Christian community. Um, and I know you'll hear things being said like this is actually just cultural view talking to a theological view or feminism infiltrating the church. But 250 years before the start of feminism in the Western world, Christian Quaker women were preaching and teaching and traveling as evangelists. And other Christians were teaching that they shouldn't. So don't be afraid to dive in this week. You're not in a foreign conversation, you're in a very thoroughly Christian conversation. And you have this incredible opportunity here at Biola University to dive into these world-class resources. That chapel on Wednesday, I really wanna come back because that sounds awesome. Ron Pierce is one of my favorite writers, so that's awesome. Um, World-class resources. So dive in. Take advantage of all these things that are gonna be at your fingertips. Don't be too afraid of it. God will meet you there as he has met so many Christians in the past. And I've waded through that stuff before. I've been in your shoes where I've tried to grapple with this debate. And my story's probably different than yours. It's probably different than a lot of the people you'll hear this week. But if it's all right, I would love to share with you my story and the message I believe God has for you this morning. Would that be okay? Okay, thank you. Um, I know it's just after midterms is what I hear, so I was like, energy's gonna be low and I'll try to keep it up. So I had some caffeine, but I might need to hear from you every now and then. Okay. So my own story on this topic began when I was in eighth grade. A little earlier than a lot of people uh, come across this debate, but I had just transferred to a private Christian school, the one I would be at until I graduated and went on to the unnamed university. And this particular school was adamant about teaching their particular view of the, bro of the proper place and role of women in church. And so I sat in classrooms as my teacher was, would tell me things like, because Adam was created first, he has authority over Eve. Uh, they would teach things like, because Eve was created as a helper, all women were meant to merely assist men in their ministries. Uh, things were taught to me like, uh, because a woman was the first to sin, therefore all women are easily deceived and require the leadership of men. They taught me that um, God only calls male leaders into ministry roles and that the gifts of leadership, the gifts of the spirit that have to do with leadership are only given to men. I was taught that Paul didn't want any women anywhere in any time in history to teach in church. And he says so in 1 Timothy 2.12. And 1 Timothy 3 lays out all the qualifications for elders and because there are male pronouns, only men can be elders. And they taught me that anyone who had anything to say that was different from this was affected by culture and had a low view of scripture. Well, I grew up in a thoroughly Christian uh, household with grandparents and great-grandparents on both sides that were Christian. And I was in eighth grade, and this was the first time I'd ever heard of this stuff. So I was kind of freaking out in school. Um, and I ran home like any eighth grader would do, and I was like, go, to, uh, go up to my parents, and I'm like, what do I believe? What do we believe? Like, tell me what to believe. Um, but my parents are academics, and so instead of telling me what to believe, they gave me three stacks of books. <laughs> so back then there were three main views in the church on women, now there are really two. But they gave me a stack on patriarchal theology, on complementarian theology, and on egalitarian theology. Um, again, I was in eighth grade. Um, <laughs> 
So through eighth from eighth grade through the time I went to college or even past that, I poured over these books and I studied scripture and I prayed and I asked questions because more than anything, I wanted to honor God with my life. But as a woman, I didn't know how to do that until I knew what God wanted for me. So I dived in and I quickly learned that egalitarians believe things that were very different than my school was teaching me. I quickly learned also that this conversation wasn't between people who had a high view of scripture and people who had a low view of scripture, but that all the sides loved God and were trying to honor scripture. So as I read these egalitarian theologians, I learned new things like uh, that they taught, like order of creation can't mean authority because animals were created before people, but they don't have authority over people. Seemed pretty reasonable. Um, I learned things like because our English word to describe evil is helper, the original word is ezer connecto, and a better translation of that would be a rescuing strength equal and opposite to Adam. I learned that just because, or I learned that Eve's sin has no more to say about all womankind than Judas's betrayal has to say about all mankind. I, I heard stories about women who were called into leadership by God, and they pointed out that in scripture, the gifts of the spirit are never mentioned due to gender. They taught things like, well yes, while Paul seems to be limiting the leadership of some women when he writes to Timothy, he evidently expects the leadership of other women because he thanks them for prophesying out loud and speaking and leading in Romans and Galatians and Corinthians. They pointed out that although our English translations of 1 Timothy 3 use male pronouns, the original language doesn't. And they talked about all of these amazing female New Testament leaders, like Phoebe the deacon, and Junia the apostle, and Priscilla the great teacher. Women I had never heard of, and my Bible teachers at school must have just forgotten to tell me about. And for a while, I grappled between, in this tension between these two main views, and I think that was really good for me, because I had to honestly embrace both and figure out what I thought. And both sides had good scriptural support for their beliefs, but do you know what it came down to for me? The biggest motivating factor for me deciding which side I fell on was how Jesus interacted with women in the Gospels. Jesus. Jesus, who told a woman to preach the good news of his resurrection, but the church that wouldn't let her preach it from the pulpit. Jesus, who discipled and befriended women, but people in the church who taught that that was somehow dangerous for pastors and leaders to do. Jesus, who depended on the financial provision of women for the welfare of his ministry, yet people in the church teaching that men are to be the providers. Jesus, who used female examples in his teaching and talked about women in his stories, but one evangelical leader was teaching that Christianity was supposed to have a masculine feel. A woman carrying the body and blood of Jesus within her for nine months but some in the church who won't let a woman serve communion in service. Jesus, who denied that there was hierarchy in his kingdom, yet some in the church were teaching that there was a hierarchy between men and women. 
Isn't the difference striking? There were just so many things being said in the church and I had to face them with what the gospels taught me about Jesus and they didn't stand. Because God incarnate who taught us what it meant to live for God seemed to live differently than that. And through my studies, I came to believe that both men and women were called to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. I came to believe that the culture in the church that teaches male authority over women misses the point of a God who taught to be first you must be last and to be a leader you must be a servant. I came to believe that instead of being concerned about wielding authority over one another, we should be concerned about loving one another. I came to believe that instead of creating a hierarchy amongst God's people based on race, socioeconomic class, or gender, we should be recognizing the words of Galatians 3.28, that in Christ there is Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I came to believe that the difference between what the church was teaching and Jesus' life mattered. I came to believe that our words and our beliefs matter because women, you and I have grown up in a church culture where our worth and dignity are openly debated because they aren't a given. But women, your worth and dignity are not determined by how well you fit into someone else's definition of biblical womanhood. They're not determined by getting married or, or having babies or being quiet or learning to be submissive. And men, same goes for you. Your worth and dignity are not determined by how well you fit into biblical manhood. They're not determined by the job you get, by how much money you make, and definitely not by your ability to exert authority over other people. Men and women, your worth and dignity were determined the day you were created in the image of the living God. And your place in the kingdom was solidified the moment your sins were nailed to that cross and defeated by the living Christ. Your worth and dignity are not things to be debated because they're not things that can be taken away or lost or even earned. They simply are. And it is important that you know that. It's important that you understand that because look at our world. Our world where the majority of humanitarian crises are happening to women. According to the World Health Organization, the UN, and US government sources, 70% of those living in poverty today are women. 100 to 200 million girls are missing from today's generation due to preference of sons over daughters, gender side, or gender-based violence. Rape is a primary weapon of war, especially in some African countries. 48 women are raped every hour in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. A third of the world's girls are married before the age of 18, and one in nine are married before the age of 15. That's child marriages to adult men. More than 125 million girls and women alive today have undergone female genital mutilation. Sex trafficking is thought to be the second largest criminal industry in the world, and over 80% of its victims are female. In the US, one in five women report having been raped. 
and seven of 10 assaults against women are perpetrated by an intimate partner. That's their boyfriends, their ex-boyfriends, their husbands, or their ex-husbands. Women are in desperate need to hear the message that they too were created in the image of God, that they too have a role and a place in the kingdom, and that they too can use their gifts and callings to serve as leaders in the church. And I know that some of you women here today at Biola Chapel have wondered about all this before. I know you felt some urge or heard that still small voice and wondered, is God calling me to ministry? And I just wanna say that you're not alone in this journey. I actually think I might just be here in chapel for you. And just as Jesus called Mary Magdalene to preach the good news of his gospel, he's calling many of you women this morning to preach that same thing. So go and do. Preach the gospel. Pastor God's people. Lead with wisdom and a sound mind. Do it because God has called you to do it. Do it because he's gifted you to do it. Do it because the world needs you to do it and oh, how it needs you to do it. Here's where I'm gonna get a little bold with you. (laughs) If I haven't already. (laughs) Women, when you go and do, if they tell you that you need a man's covering to do so, you tell them that Jesus died for you as much as anybody else and his blood is the only covering you need. (laughs) And if they tell you your husband should be leading you spiritually and have the last say, you say that the day you became a Christian you gave your life over to Jesus and that Jesus leads you spiritually and Jesus has the last say. And if they tell you that women are weak, You tell them that you come from a long line of godly women who led the army of of Israel to victory, who saved God's people from genocide, and who birthed the savior of the world. And if they tell you you're just trying to be like a man, you say, yes I am. I'm trying to be like that poor Jewish carpenter turned preacher who walked away from the conventional in order to preach the unconventional who surrounded himself with men and women and rich and poor and educated and uneducated and who died for them all. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Trying to be like Jesus. Because I remember how uh, it felt the week after midterms. It wasn't that long ago that I went to school. Um, I'm gonna end a little early for you. Um, but I am gonna end with something that I wrote, a poem that's written to God. Uh, we blog at the Junior Project, and I wrote this a while back. It illustrates part of my journey, and I hope it brings encouragement to some of you. It's called, They Gave Me a Box. I grew up learning about you. I saw you in the love shared by everyone around me. I heard about you in the sermons and sang about you in the songs. I read about you and thought about you. And so I came to you and you met me. You loved and cared for me. You grew and taught me. You fashioned me and called me. And I took what you had given me and I went back to the place I had first heard of you. I was filled with anticipation. What would they have me do? You had given me so many things. 
perhaps I could speak about you. Perhaps I could teach others to follow you. Perhaps I could spread your message to the world. Perhaps I could invite others to your table to take part in your supper. For they had always prayed for you to raise up people of my generation. They had always said how desperately the kingdom needed more voices, more hands, more feet. And so with anticipation, I brought myself to them only to be confused by their response. For when I offered them this voice that you had given me, when I, when I offered them these hands that you had strengthened and these feet that you had guided, they gave me a box. They gave me a box in which to keep my passion. They gave me a box in which to store my wisdom. They gave me a box in which to put my words. They gave me a box to hold my hands and my feet. They gave me a box and they said it was your will for me as a woman. And when I asked if they had a, a box that fit a little bit better, they told me to be happy with what you had given me. When I told them you had given me things that wouldn't fit inside the box, they said I must be mistaken. When I asked if there was anything else they could offer, they told me the box was a perfect place to keep my questions. So I come to you, me and everything you've given me, me and everything you created me to be, me and everything you called to me, and the box. I'm a bit bruised from trying to fit inside of it, and now that I'm standing in front of you, I realize you don't want me to. I see I have a choice. I can keep the box they've given me and throw out all the things that don't fit. I can ignore the time I spent with you, the gifts you have given me, the calling you gave me. I can dismember my soul in order to fit into the, the dimensions of the box. I can live for them and let the box define me. Or, I can trust the way you made me the way you prepared me, the way you called me, I can lean on you for guidance and walk in the footsteps of brave women who've gone before me. I can live fully alive in you and trust that you are a God who is bigger than the box. I can set the box down and walk away. I can live for you and let you define me. They gave me a box and called it yours. You offer me freedom and call it mine. So I take this box and I put it on a shelf and label it history. Then I take your hand and we walk away because life with you is far better than life in a box. We hope you enjoyed this message. Biola University offers a variety of biblically-centered degree programs ranging from business to ministry to the arts and sciences. Learn more at biola.edu.